Have you ever tried to watch a Grand Prix while surrounded by 25-year-olds? I don't mean people who are 25 years old. I mean 20 times five-year-olds. Well, how'd it go? (laughs) Hard. Pretty hard, really hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's my daughter Willow's fifth birthday and uh, it finished at two o'clock as the race started. And you should have seen me ushering these kids out (laughs) of the soft play area. I haven't tried that, Nats, but I did have a phone call to congratulate me or wish me well on Father's Day at about the start time of the race. So I had to put the race on pause. (laughs) So I'm now 10 minutes by the time I finished speaking to my children. I'd missed the start and I had to catch up. So it was a race to catch up with the race, if you see what I mean. But anyway, that was lovely of them. (laughs) What a race it was, though. Wasn't it brilliant? Oh, amazing. Amazing. And who knew we were going to say that about a French Grand Prix? Pinks, you're sounding really enthused. It's great to have you back. (laughs) Oh, it's great to be back. I think you should kick it off. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's F1 Nation podcast, where I'm joined by Tom Clarkson and Damon Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Too much? Verstappen goes off the track and that gives the lead to Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton comes out. Is he ahead of Max Verstappen? No, he is not. Max Verstappen pulls the undercut on Lewis Hamilton. Box and pick and fill please, Max. Right, now this swings around. It is a two-stop race as far as Max Verstappen and Red Bull are concerned. And now Max has got some work to do. Max Verstappen goes past Lewis Hamilton. He sees the chequered flag and he wins the French Grand Prix completely wrong of course and my prediction of the French Grand Prix I did warn everyone last week that it was could be a, a yawn fest but far from it I'm pleased to say doesn't it just go to show how multi-dimensional this challenge is between Red Bull and Mercedes there's always so much happening and if you've got a fight like that on your hands you're always going to have a great race regardless of the track and there was atmosphere at Paul Ricard there were 15,000 fans it was brilliant it looks like it in fact there's a, there's a video going around on the internet of uh, uh, some fans in the grandstand right next door to the place where where Max passed Lewis on the on the penultimate lap shouting and screaming and uh, you could even hear it above the noise of the engines as well they're back and it's fantastic okay so we talk then about the Red Bull strategy because You'd have to say it was bullish, but it was one that Christian Horner was just reveling in afterwards, wasn't he? He was lapping it up. It was a real coup for them because it was risky to lose track position. And everyone's comparing it to Barcelona because it was, uh, you know, going for the, the, the second pit stop in the way that Lewis did. But crucially, he was going for it. Max was going for it from the lead of the race. So it felt like a massive gamble and yet it just paid off to perfection. I was trying to work it out. I think Max, he lost the race twice. He won the race three times. So he ended up winning because basically he got pole position because they won it once and then he lost it on the first corner. And then he basically got a little bit stuck in, in traffic and he had, to, he had to basically pit again. So he lost the lead again and then he had to catch up and then he won it again. So I think there's just no way you can look at that without saying that Red Bull completely had the upper hand and, and Max is, you know, brilliant driver because that he had loads of loads of opportunities or loads of times where he had to dig really deep in order to find uh, the competitive edge and pass Lewis. And Lewis 
likewise, even with his brilliant ability to extract time out of the car in the last stint, you know, and stay ahead of Max, it just wasn't enough. And that all came down to the pit stop, didn't it, Tom? Well, it came down to the pit stop. But one of the reasons Christian Horner was so happy after the race is that, yes, they were brilliant strategically, but also they had real pace all weekend. Let's not forget that. They had a new Honda power unit, which is definitely a step up. Lewis claiming that uh, he was losing 0.3 on the straights alone. And the car had various new bits and pieces on it. I don't know exactly what, except we're told there were lots of new pieces. Everything is working. uh, And both drivers are getting a lot out of that car now. So they've got genuine pace. And let's just cast our minds back to 2018, 2019. This was a Mercedes racetrack. It was made for the Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton has only, prior to yesterday, has only not led one lap in in two races there. So this is real game on territory now. And, and that is why Horner was so pleased. Yes, it was a great race strategically, but they know that they, they've got the beating of, of Mercedes now. So Damon, Red Bull played a masterstroke when it came to strategy. It's important to recognise the role that Perez played in that. It was crucial, wasn't it? Yeah, it's crucial because it gives less scope, doesn't it, for Mercedes to play with their strategy. I mean, and also because he went long, they can basically bring in Max, send Sergio out there and the Mercedes team don't know what his strategy is going to be. And he's bound to play a part down the line in the race somewhere. He's got the pace as well now. He was quite a long way behind, but he was going for a longer stint. So I think that Sergio has shown that he's very useful to the team now. He's really a a strategic, massive plus to them now in their back in the constructors, which they lead by quite a few points now against Mercedes, which is, I, I was totally stunned. I, sh- I saw the the, uh, the race results afterwards and it's got the constructors championship. And you see this team Red Bull up there with quite a big points in mind. How long ago have we seen that? That was, that's just new territory. Now for the last 10 years, we haven't seen that. And what Perez offers them is something a bit different. His ability to eke out distance on a set of tyres, as mm. he did yesterday, is different. Whereas Bottas is a little bit harder on his tyres and gives them fewer options. Whereas, you know, they can they could pit Perez early if they want to, as you might do a Bottas. And if they want to run him long, he's capable of doing that as well. There are more strings to his bow, really, than there are Bottas. Absolutely. And it isn't a luxury that Red Bull have enjoyed of late, as we all know. His presence meant that Hamilton was reluctant to repeat what he did in Barcelona because it would have meant coming out behind Perez. And he'd have had to then clear him before getting a run at Verstappen. I mean, it's just brilliant. It's like this epic game of chess. Yeah, there's absolutely no room for, uh, you know, for wriggle at all. Like we said, we had the three second gap, the crucial three second gap that Mercedes thought was enough for them to avoid the undercut. And of course, on retrospect, I'm sure they'd admit, I mean, because you saw previous examples with the McLaren pitting early and then uh, then jumping the Ferrari and it had had a massive, there was obviously a massive undercut advantage. But Valtteri comes in and prompts Max to come in and have a pit. So otherwise, he would have been overturned by, by Valtteri. So, you know, it's, it's really, really narrow. There's no room for any slackness at all in, in their strategy. And they have to decide immediately. And the mistake they really made, I think, was, was not bringing in Lewis in a lap earlier. And also, you know, the moment they could do after Valtteri. And then also, uh, he didn't do a quick enough in and out lap because Max did an absolute stonker. I mean, that used to happen to me with Michael Schumacher. We'd, we'd be think we'd be leading the race and then suddenly we'd do the pit stops and he'd be half a second, you know, about 20 seconds down the road. We just couldn't work out how he did it. Lewis was at pains after the race to point out that Red Bull did have the faster car. So he says, yes, we could have done things differently. It might have allowed us to win that race, 
But let's not forget that Red Bull were faster than us, you know. And he's, he made the point that he was losing 0.3 of a second on, on the straights alone. Partly that new power unit that we mentioned, but also running a little bit less wing. And that's actually a really interesting point too, guys, in that Max had less rear wing. So it, it would have perhaps led to a little bit more tyre deg on the rear tyres because it would have slid around a little bit more. So maybe it was always going to be a two-stopper for him prior to the start of the race. You know, Red Bull are claiming that, yes, uh, we showed great agility, but actually maybe for Max, it was always going to be a two-stopper because of running less wing and, and, and the question marks that would have raised about getting to the end of the race on a one-stopper. I think the thing that's interesting me and I think that will become very interesting as a story uh, as we go through this year is what is going to happen to this harmonious Mercedes team uh, as we get further down the line. Because we know that Christian's there's no love loss with any of his competitors with with uh, Christian Horner. He's quite happy to to rib them when it goes wrong. And there was a few tetchy moments before even before this weekend. But I think the Mercedes looked a little bit off balance this weekend and a little bit concerned in a way that I've never seen them as a team before. And you, f- you say that Lewis, he looked kind of content with his job, but he didn't seem so concerned, if you like, that his team seemed to be scratching their head, emitting errors on the radio during the race, and that they're a bit baffled as to, as to how they've got overtaken. Okay, Lewis, well done, mate. So that's a P2. Have a look at what happened at that stop, but yeah, real great job just trying to get that tire to the end. Nearly at it. I did tell you this morning I'll replace. Hi, Lewis. This one's this one's on us. Thank you for doing everything you could to recover that race. You drove incredibly well. So good, man. We did our best. Still got good points. I tell you what, the normally placid Valtteri Bottas, I don't think I've ever heard him quite so fiery, feisty and frustrated over team radio. Why the don't listen to me when I say it's going to be a two-stopper? He was adamant that it was a two-stopper and something that he voiced to the team beforehand, but they didn't listen. And I guess it's a reminder that, at least looking in from the outside, that he's regarded as the number two and he was there to help facilitate Hamilton's win, even at the cost of his own race. I mean, how frustrated should he be? Is he entitled to be? Is he, though, Natalie? I I, I, I don't think that, I mean, Toto is totally has kind of denied that that's the case. I mean, we, we might have our own opinion, but I mean, he, he still, he was quite racy this weekend, don't forget. And he was, he was. Yeah, he was. But why didn't they listen to him then? Well, why didn't he just come in anyway? You know, that's, it, the point is, it's about, it's about responsibility. If Valtteri wanted to just say, listen, I'm coming in, get the tyres. Okay, he has to take the responsibility for it not working. And the thing about decisions like that is it's who's going to take the can when it goes wrong. And the team typically are more prepared to take that responsibility. In the old days uh, with racing drivers, they'd they'd make the call. Ayrton Senna in Donington would say, I'm coming in. I want these tyres. And they get them for him. Because there was no way of them knowing whether it's right or wrong. He was the only person there who could say. If Valtteri really, if the drivers really know better than the engineers what the situation is, then they should start insisting on it. But the engineers have all the data. They've got all the information. I know that the drivers have the feel. They don't have all the data. But okay, so what you're saying is that Valtteri needs to be more assertive. No, I'm saying that that engineers have data. That's all they have. They have data and they and the drivers have a, their back seat, a back seat, their back backside uh, in, the, in the seat, you know. And so, But the minute he goes against the will of the team, 
then he becomes less yeah, easy yeah, to manage, less of a team player. Yeah, no, it, or maybe not. Maybe he becomes someone that people start to uh, listen to a little bit more closely. You know, it is always a dilemma with the driver in the team is, is your authority. And it's no good ducking a difficult decision. I'm not saying that Valtteri did. I'm saying he may be constrained by other things we don't know about. But I mean, you look at the great drivers, they've always said, I'm coming in now. Get me that now. I want that. Fernando Alonso, he tells the team what to do. He's got authority. Fascinating dynamic between them. Because, you know, you can really see that Valtteri has tried to assert himself over the last couple of years. But if he's not commanding that attention and respect, then I don't, I'm not saying they don't respect him. But And after a weekend like Baku two weeks ago, I think he was on the back foot coming into this weekend. Yeah, so it's, it is hard for him to assert himself. But I, I feel Mercedes in France were a team almost under siege and let me try and explain that because on track we saw what was happening in that uh, Lewis turns up and he's all lost on Friday and he admitted after qualifying that he was throwing the kitchen sink at the problem trying loads of different setups and finally finding something just before qualifying that worked and he of course got onto the front row but then off track there was this whole chassis swap story that Mercedes were trying to sort of brush under the carpet and observers who know, and it'd be great to get your thoughts on it as an ex-driver, Damon, but, you know, Mercedes were at odds to try and say there's no difference between the cars. This isn't a story. It's a non-story. But no two cars are the same, are they, Damon? There must have been a reason for doing it. And if they just held their hands up and said, look, we've changed the, the chassis. Lewis not completely happy after Baku. Valtteri not completely happy after Baku, so we're trying something different. I think that story would have gone away, but they belligerently tried to convince the media and anyone who was listening that there was no, no difference and that we shouldn't read anything into it. So that was one thing. And then, of course, Toto comes out and says that he's going to keep his driver decision until the winter. That's complete contradiction of something he said a few weeks back, saying he wanted it sorted out in the summer. Then you get the, the, the Bottas being outspoken on the radio, which we've already talked about. I just felt it was a messy weekend and there was just shots being fired at them from every direction. Yeah, some, some people would have you believe that the deal's already been done for George Russell to go there. So it may be that Valtteri is just, uh, you know, he's trying to bite his tongue and, uh, and keep quiet. But Or not, yeah, and it might all come out. But on the chassis thing, there's a lot of stuff to do with driving a car which is uh, mysterious um you know you put a car away you go testing you put the get the settings for a track and you go back to the track and you take it out the next day even it doesn't work and you know there's stuff that is mysterious and when form changes for example when lewis is having a bad day that doesn't fit the pattern lewis is quicker than valtteri bottas but valtteri bottas is going quicker than lewis so there must be something wrong and in the mind of the driver when you've tried everything you've i mean they did actually talk about in Baku, they talked about having gone through umpteen setup changes. So they're really hunting around to try and find pace. The pace they need is obviously to race against Red Bull. So Lewis is trying to find the advantage again that he had in his car, and it's not there. And, it, and the fact of the matter is it's Red Bull that are now exposing the vulnerability of the Mercedes package. And if you start going hunting for something that's not there, you can get lost. And I think that's the, that's one of the things that, that might account for something like a chassis change, because you're trying to find the mysterious thing that never existed in the first place. Looking too hard. 
Well, you're trying to find a rational answer for the question. You, you know, you, if you're not quicker than your teammate, Lewis is not quicker than his teammate, then there's some, there must be a reason. There must be the car. It's not the driver. Quite often, you can't find something that big. It's a, it's a number of small things. And sometimes you have to just settle in and time comes. I'm not telling Lewis how to drive. Obviously, he knows how to drive better than me. But I have had experience of that. Sometimes your state of mind can make you not the smooth driver you used to be. And by contrast, the kind of harmonious atmosphere at Red Bull, they're really enjoying that. And, and that's kind of giving them extra momentum. They all seem to be getting on very well. Max really kind of clicking with his engineer. It's the Thucydides trap. <laughs> it's the Thucydides trap. <laughs> oh, dear. Come on. It's when, it's when one empire is on the up and the other empire is on the down. You get wars. You are such a <laughs> clever little badger. Tell me more. How do you spell Thucydides? Th- Thucydides. T-H-Y. Oh, God. Oh, have I asked too much? You, no. Uh, uh, S something. D-D or I don't know. Right, I'm definitely using this on air at the weekend. And I'll take all the credit. <laughs> what does that actually mean? Well, it's actually, you hear it a lot about the, 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 the situation between China and America um, at the moment. But we're talking about, so we've had Mercedes dominance. And we've had, obviously, Red Bull have had dominance as well. And they, were, they lost their, their traction on that. And, but now they're coming back. They're on the, uh, the incline. They're, they're building. And, of course, you know, we mentioned Honda. We really ought to mention Honda more. How much of this is Honda's? achievement how much of this is actually because honda have produced an absolutely stonking engine which is what they tend to do historically in, in our sport you give them enough time you give them enough space they will produce a stonking engine and then they leave and then they leave <laughs> no <laughs> same it, story isn't it and i'm, I'm do you know what? it's one of the greatest sadnesses isn't it that honda are leaving i love having them on the grid it's a strange one but they are putting everything they really want to go out on a high and they've given red bull a motor to take the the war to Mercedes. You they? didn't want to say go out with a bang, did you? No, that was they a good one. I, don't want that. I, I, I avoided that. Yeah, no, they're going they're going out with a whoosh. But what will be really interesting is to see whether Red Bull can sort of take the baton and run with it. You know, whether they can really capitalise on the on the progress that Honda's made and take it into next year and beyond. And with the engine freeze. Thanks. How can you doubt it on, on the evidence of everything we're seeing so far? But do you know what, what was interesting after the race yesterday is that, you know, we, we think that there's friction maybe between the team principals, Christian and, and Toto, and difficult times for Mercedes at the minute. But the relationship between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton is still fantastic. After the race, came into the press conference room, really relaxed. I think they're just huge amount of respect between them. Yeah. And I think they're both just grateful for this level of competition. Yeah. I mean, they're loving it, aren't yeah. they? Totally agree. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Max, before the cameras turned on, Max sat there chatting to Lewis. Uh, they were talking, Lewis talked about straight line, uh, Max's straight line speed advantage. Max changed the subject and asked him about uh, Lewis's hair. Is it the cornrows? Is that what you call it? He said, mm-hmm. how, long, how often do you have to get those done? Oh, well, about once a week, I get a mate to come in. And it was all this kind of stuff going on. And, and Lewis had just lost the race to Max Verstappen, but it was all very relaxed, very harmonious. They were together in the press conference on Thursday before the race. Total harmony again. Maybe they're teammates for next year. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Uh, yeah, I think that he, I think there's a calmness with Lewis this year. And, and also Max as well. He's, they don't want to go there with this, uh, you know, te- I mean, no doubt there'll be journalists, um, Tom, who are trying to stir up some friction to make this a spicy fight. 
and and say you never guess what so and so said about so and so and you would never do that would you tom I wouldn't, but I think Nico Rosberg would. <laughs> Talking of oh, journalists. I, do you know, I have to say, I have actually loved his contribution yeah. on Sports F1. Because, you know, I don't think, you know, he doesn't he doesn't care. You know, he's sort of like, look, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'm, I'm a world champion. I can dip in and out of this sport now. And he says the things I believe people are thinking at home. And actually people like me and you, Tom, and even you, Damon, don't say on air. No, I don't want to cause any trouble, but maybe that's that. Maybe that's my. Maybe that was my job. Maybe they wanted me to cause trouble. But Nico has gone straight in there, bowling in there, and actually, you're right. I mean, I, he was he was absolutely right. That why did Lewis not defend more vigorously against? I was surprised. I was really shocked that he didn't even put up a bit of a weave on, on Max there. And uh, Valtteri tried, but it was a bit half baked. You know, in fact, that's where the race was lost by Mercedes because Valtteri didn't manage to put up more of a defence against uh, against Max. But if you try and get past um, Sergio Perez, he won't give up a place quite so easily. But yeah, that was Nico. Nico brought that up, raised up, the, raised those those points, and he also loved the the stir up things with Toto and Christian, didn't he, as well in the interview afterwards. But you have to say it's great having those two together. Come what may, they they stand together and they thrash it out in terms of the strategy. You know, regardless if he's won and lost. Uh, again, gripping television. I love to see it, and it's it's gracious of whoever's been defeated at the time to to step up. They all benefit, don't they? I think Natalie. They're, I mean, they're all benefiting this. I mean, we are sitting there. What we know, we're watching brilliant drivers, and Lewis has for long for a long time now been accused of having the best car, and there's no competition. Well. You know, this is a great battle and it's going to go all the way through this season. I just don't see there's a, there's not a big enough advantage. I mean, you know, Red Bull do look better. But there's going to be very close races coming up and we've got them coming in a quick succession, haven't we? Styrian Grand Prix is next. A triple header. I mean, that's going to take its toll on everyone. But I do believe, at least at the moment, the drivers are just relishing it, aren't they? I mean, it must be hard work for the engineers and, you know, those who are on the road for, for three weeks straight. But um, A lot of raw noses, I know that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Poor old Tom. How many have you had now? 87. Uh, are, you, are you counting? Oh, I do count. Oh, yeah. God. Has it been um, 87? Yeah, yeah. I mean, COVID tests, start. I'm just at pains to say, we are talking about COVID tests here. <laughs> <laughs> so three wins in a row for Red Bull, the maximum of 26 points for Max Verstappen, driver of the day. I mean, what a weekend. Pinks, the only blot on Max's copybook was Go that on. mistake at turn one, wasn't it? Okay, but was that the wind? Because that's what he said it was. And... Well, yeah, so the win was there for other guys. <laughs> there, were no, there were 19 other guys negotiating that corner at the same time. He just overcooked uh, it, didn't he? But he made amends. Yeah, Sterling Moss used to go into the first corner he was leading and make it and get it all crossed up just to make everyone think that it was more difficult than it was. But he didn't quite get that. He went a little bit too far and lost the place. But uh, anyway. I mean, I, I for one actually quite like seeing them make little mistakes. It reminds us that they are still human. It reminds us that it is a pressure cooker and that challenge is real. And, you know, we, we're seeing more of it now. We didn't see it before really this season with Lewis. And we just thought he was superhuman or indeed the greatest human to have ever walked the earth. Yeah, most talented individual. <laughs> Who said that? It gave us a better race as well, because I think had he not made that mistake, he might have disappeared into the distance. So absolutely. Thank you, Max. Daniel Ricciardo is going to go for it, isn't he? On Fernando Alonso, down the inside of the chicane. He's going for it. He's going for it, Lando Norris. 
And with DRS, manages to breeze past the Ferrari. It's going to be fifth and sixth for McLaren. Daniel Ricciardo comes across the line now and takes that sixth place. Another team who had a great race was McLaren. I mean, that was um, solid. That was fantastic from them. Very solid. Yeah, solid race. Solid race. Not so good on Saturday, but really solid race. Well, when yeah. you saw them be out qualified by Ferrari, you were sort of thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be a bit of a tricky weekend for them. But to come back in the way they did with fifth and sixth and, and Ferrari, both drivers out of the points. Yeah. I mean, that really surprised me how mm. much yeah. they struggled on the tyres. What was your take on that, Damon? Yeah, I think that uh, someone I was listening to uh, was suggesting that it was uh, because they have... Uh, they're okay at heating up their tyres. In other words, the car is too hard on the front tyres. Uh, and so that's great for qualifying because you get the front tyres up to temperature and you get a balance and off you go and you get sticky tyres, you can do a lap. But once you've done two or three laps, then you've got understeer. And so I think Ferrari have got to work on, or they know what they've got to work on, but they don't know I, they don't know why, but anyway, they don't like these high tyre pressures, which have been imposed by Pirelli for safety reasons. But um, they're having to lump it. Everyone else has got a nice balance. So it could be McLaren have got a nice, easy balance, but they're not bringing the tyre in for qualifying uh, quite as well. But it's great for the race. And of course, the race is what matters. And you look at strategies. And for example, Sebastian Vettel, who you know went for such a long first stint and and also and also of course uh, stroll who started at the back because he there's no option but but to do that you do wonder why uh so much emphasis is put on qualifying i mean it seems to me like the most important thing is is your race pace and if you can manage that and 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 eke out more laps on a a set of tires it it doesn't half pay dividends uh in terms of where you finish at the end it's a funny thing isn't it but of all the rule changes that have been made in recent years, shrinking the two practice sessions on a Friday from 90 minutes to 60 minutes has had a huge impact because now the longest run that any driver will do in a practice session is maybe eight laps, 10 laps perhaps. So they go into the race not knowing what's going to happen to the tyres during a race stint. And as a result, we're getting all these question marks thrown up the whole time. And, you know, after Friday, Ferrari didn't think they had any problems. They were confident, but it was only when it went longer in the race that suddenly it all reared its head. Yes, the cooler temperatures and there was overnight rain on Saturday night. So there was less rubber on the track, but equally there was no rubber on the track on Friday and they didn't see any problems. So it's the simplest of rule changes on paper has had a massive impact and Bring it on. And, and, and McLaren, as you say, Damon, I think have a, a benign car, which is very easy on its tyres and they're making hay. And almost, is it almost too easy to drive? Is that what Daniel Ricciardo's been struggling to, to find an edge? Because the car is just very straightforward. I don't know. But it was great, great to see Daniel back on form. Oh, I'm a bit confused by that, Tom, because Daniel's explanation, certainly post-Monaco, was that it was such a small operating window to, to, to get this McLaren going. It's a tricky car for him to get his head around. He definitely seems more at one with it now, but that seems to contradict what you're saying about it being a benign car. Well, because I think that McLaren has been, it's been quicker every single racetrack we, we've gone to. And if it with had Lando this, in it. With Lando in it, but equally, if it had a really small operating window, I don't think we'd see the consistency from race to race. Look at the Mercedes. I think that's got quite a small operating window and hence they're chasing their tails a lot of the time and we're seeing fluctuations in form. Whereas the McLaren, and it's just Daniel has had to work out how to drive it, 
But I think it is benign on its tyres and that's why they've been so good. I tell you what, I did find it interesting that uh, Lando went longer on his first stint and you, it looked like that was going to undermine his race when he dropped right back to sort of 13th. But actually, ultimately, that's what helped him come back through the field and finish in fifth. It didn't look initially as if that strategy was the right one, but it, it worked brilliantly in the end. But I mean, I think balance is, that balance is the, is the key if you're fighting the car sliding around you have to slide around a, a lot more and that heats up the surface of the tire so balance is really important aero balance on a circuit like paul ricard is is supreme you know it really is counts for a lot so damon i just can't really get my head around it you're saying just that extra two psi has massively undermined ferrari and that's where all their troubles have come from if you've fundamentally not got a balanced car, increasing the tyre pressures is, is just going to make the car uh, slide more, quite honestly. I mean, it's, it's a crude way of describing it, but basically it's got less uh, compliance and a slightly smaller contact patch. So you've got an even more unbalanced car when you, when you do things, when you introduce uh, difficulties. So it's all about balance as always. And uh, they'll be doing their numbers. Who knows what's going on? If they knew what was going on, they'd surely fix it. But... Um, it is, it is actually a mystery as to why some cars work their tyres more than others. Sometimes it's damping. Sometimes it's, you know, roll, roll uh, um, stiffnesses front to rear and stuff. That can have an effect. Um, but, I mean, there's so much interest in aero these days. But aero, you can balance out front to rear. You can use trim tabs like the, the wings, front and rear wings, and you can find a balance that way on rake and stuff like that. But that's not how the tyres... The tyres don't feel that. The tyres feel load, but they also feel the rate at which... The the car rolls and also bumps as well. I just find it crazy after their performance in Monaco and Baku that we're now hearing Charles Leclerc talk about it being the hardest Formula One race in his career. And and I think ditto Carlos Sainz, Pinks. Uh, I think I think that it was actually seeing them being interviewed after the race. They they were almost laughing because they were just so lost. They couldn't explain how the start of each stint car was good and then it just dropped away and just so perplexed i mean they'll all be going back to marinello it was it was interesting ross braun came out last night and said um he was asked what do you think's going on in marinello after a race like that and he said what they mustn't do is go back and say we don't know what happened because that doesn't help anybody uh, they need to <laughs> that's they exactly need to, what i've been saying <laughs> <laughs> so they shouldn't say exactly what i've been saying they should they, they probably <laughs> will be saying oh dear so there's going to be some serious head scratching is what Ross Braun said, but he said the leaders there, the technical leaders have to provide solutions because that galvanizes the rest of the workforce there. And if you just, if their Monday morning meeting was just holding your hands up and going, well, we don't know, then that's, that doesn't bode well for a race that's happening in five days later in Austria. Yeah. That's the problem, isn't it? They've got just a couple of days to get things right. Yeah, and no They're testing. Coming in thick and fast. Exactly. I once had a really bad car in Formula 3000 and I read not not about sort of six months ago, I read an article by the guy who designed it who said, we changed everything. We changed, we put in what we thought, we called it the sewer pipe. It was basically a, an extender uh, between the engine and the gearbox. We thought it would make the car longer. We tried everything. Nothing worked on this car. We just, we tried all the roll bars, every springs, never, nothing worked. Eventually I bought a Raynaud. <laughs> <laughs> and that was brilliant but i found out about six months ago that the guy said oh, we found out what the problem was it was the the wind tunnel was all wrong so basically it was the aerodynamic in the first place so we tried changing everything mechanical and it didn't work and it was actually the aero after all 
I thought you were referring to the sewer pipe just in case you were caught short and couldn't get out in time. That's <laughs> yes. where our chat last no, week. No, I never did that. I told you I don't do toilet things in the car. But um, I know, I know. I wouldn't, I know. Need a, wouldn't have needed a pipe that big anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did see some actually pretty good moves from uh, from Lando as well. Some racy moves, but some clean passes. Uh, and, and and also Sebastian Vettel did a good one early in the race on uh, on Fernando Alonso going into that uh, senior straight chicane, whatever it's called, turn eight, I think. Um, you know, there's some good, there was some good racing down the field. But then there was the Pierre Gasly lunge, which... Uh, uh, Lando Norris thought was a little bit strong and it was to be honest a lunge there's no question about it he had to go off the track to kind of save his save himself and then uh, and then Lando complained that he'd been pushed off the track as well to avoid the crash he forced me off it's idiot doing he even went off himself that wasn't the first time Lando had complained in the race because he was also complaining about his teammate early on yes. wasn't he so yes bit of a moaning mini really i thought lando in the race and uh you know rubbin's racing isn't it i thought gasly was great and um yeah they kissed and made up because they did the sky pad together and they, they were socially distanced but just close enough for a quick jab to go in if needs be yeah. um but they laughed it off if you went back and saw these kids when they were karting they would be <laughs> doing all sorts of nasty tricks on each other i mean i can remember going to a johnny herbert <laughs> I'm going to embarrass him now because Johnny likes, he's such a lovely chap, Johnny, isn't he? But I saw him at a go-kart track, a charity go-karting track, bashing someone up the backside, trying to nerf them out of the way. I know what he's like. They're all the same, these racing drivers. You can't trust them, except me, of course. <laughs> of course, Damon, of course we trust you. Yeah, not in a race, I wouldn't. Should we talk rookies? Because... It feels as if Yuki Tsunoda hasn't had the performance of Bahrain again this season. There's been a sort of a splattering of mistakes um, and, and collisions. Um, I, I appreciate the last two circuits have been street ones, but hang on, hang it on, was hang a on. shame Banks, to see. Who is, who is spreading all this bad news okay, about well, Yuki Tsunoda? What I'm Tsunoda? doing, you. What, I, oh my I'm goodness. basically getting ahead of you two because I hate hearing you criticise him. No, I think she's. I think she's going off him. Definitely not. I think. He's still super, but I feel in the, the bigger picture is that all of this will count towards making a great driver by the end of the year. And I just feel that it's a steep learning curve, but all of this feeds into it. Um, you know, you saw the same with Mick Schumacher making a mistake um, that was costly. And I think one of the things I wanted to say, Damon, was that the advice that maybe someone like you could give them as a driver mentor is you don't have to push so hard all the time. I think they're so keen to to prove themselves on this in this higher echelon of motorsport, um, single seater motorsport. Do you think? Do you think I should um, give Mick Schumacher some co driver coaching advice? Or would that be too sensitive? I don't. I'm not sure. I want to go. I mean, I, I, I just I just feel that, you know, in Q1, when you're just trying to get through to Q2, you don't have to go all out and make mistakes. You just have to do enough. And that's just what you learn on the job, isn't it? I think it's a very interesting point about the whole driver coach thing, uh, because, you know, I, they have now that I was absolutely staggered. They have, uh, you know, Lando Norris was we, we had an in, inside piece, didn't we? And, and um, McLaren on, on Sky and it had, you know, talking to his driver 
um, driver coach that he has in the team, which we never used to have. We used to have engineers and stuff, but you know, actually he's the data and so he'll look at the data and, and help Orlando understand where he could be better on the circuit. So there's a whole load of input. I think you can have too much input um, for drivers, but there definitely is for new drivers. They need to understand all this this stuff but they get a lot of that coaching in uh, in, in gp2 and and um sorry f2 and uh, f3 you know as they're coming up they get the the way these teams now treat young drivers is they they educate them uh, it seems to me and i i do wonder whether you're losing the spontaneity of these individuals as racing drivers because there's only so much you can teach i think there's you know a lot of it is just instinct anyway but uh you know they want to find advantages they want to find edges but definitely attitude telling young competitors whether it's any sport you like to not go 110 percent all the time every time is almost impossible it's just they can't do it they can't they simply don't get the concept and if you look at drivers who are more experienced you can see they've learned that they've learned that they have enough talent they have enough speed they just need to know when to use it and to measure it out uh, and and keep safe. But, you know, in the old days when it was Formula One was very dangerous, you know, they literally they had no fear. They didn't know when to back off. And there was a lot of um, fatalities and serious injuries. That's where this sport is. It's gone a long way and it's, uh, it's it's improved on that. And it's saved a lot of lives through putting in the safety measures. But, you know, you, you do like the impetuosity. How do you how do you get drivers to learn this thing? to learn to pace themselves over a race weekend lewis gets it you can see that i think max has has learned it now as well and they all start to use minimum effort to get the same result they don't blow all their energy on on everything they're doing you know they've got to learn to to harness some save some and know when to play that energy and it's learning to deal with pressure isn't it because both yuki and mick are under a little bit more pressure in recent races. Nikita Mazepin had two strong races in Monaco and Baku, and Mick was keen to emphasise his advantage again. And, and Pierre Gasly, having a storming few races recently, putting the pressure on Yuki. So you, they're both having to push themselves, I think, to try and reduce the gap. And what do they say? You can make a fast racing driver consistent, but you can't make a slow one fast. And uh, I think it's just time, isn't it? This was only race seven for both Mick and Yuki and it'll come. And, you know, there were moments of brilliance for, for Yuki in, in Baku. Equally, of course, he crashed in Q3. Oh, funny story from the weekend. I must just tell you. <laughs> so Daniel Ricciardo. Is Ricardo, it about Yuki? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Daniel Ricciardo okay, and Yuki discussing how much does a Formula One car cost? And Yuki comes out and goes, well, it depends how much you crash it. And then because Daniel and Yuki both crashed in Baku, they then went into a, some analysis of their crashes <laughs> in Baku. And Yuki was just being so honest and straight. He said, well, I, I, I just braked 50 meters too late. Just 50 meters. And then Daniel starts laughing. And it's just the honesty of the guy I, I love. And it's um, perhaps he's too honest damon is there such a thing no he's fine it's, listen, I'm, i i think he's a, he's a he's a lovely character he definitely is a character i mean he's uh he's he's got some fury in him and uh that's a good thing in, in you need that you fury. need that yeah. we love that fury and he doesn't take himself too seriously i love anyone that can laugh at themselves 
yeah their own mistake that's definitely an asset isn't it i think i used to get down on myself very much i thought oh my god no what have i done and uh you know that sort of attitude doesn't go that's uh, you're just a sitting duck in in f1 they can smell blood but damon is that because you were getting abuse thrown at you from above for whichever team you were no, racing no, 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 for no. It, was I, all I self, just, it was you no. self-analysis no no it's it's the spotlight the intense spotlight that is on everyone in f1 i mean more so now for the guys down the back you know it used to be the guys down the back nobody ever blooming talked to you know they, there was no interest in what was going on uh down at uh, uh eurobrun or whatever <laughs> nobody knew and there wasn't the data and there was no interest and but now there's so much interest from people like us and the fans and social media and sky f1 and f1 and we literally everybody is scrutinized i mean even the people who do the catering Now, I feel like this whole podcast is Ask Damon because that's all we really do. But let's move it on to our favourite section, which is purely Ask Damon. Our first question then, please, for Mr. Damon Hill. Hey, Damon, Tom and Nat. This is Demi from Canada. My question for Damon is in looking at the current Formula One driver contract approach within the sport, in light of considering the recent three-year contract extension of Alpine with Esteban Ocon and fresh off the multi-year contract extension Lando just signed with McLaren not long before that. It just seems clearly that drivers are really looking for multi-year deals going forward rather than single-year deals. And so, Damon, where do you feel this leaves the next generation of up-and-coming drivers who also have a goal of signing a contract one day to be in Formula One, but seemingly may be faced with this challenge where there are no seats available on the grid. Thanks and have a great day. Dammy, good question. Contracts. Now, uh, as a racing driver, you're torn, um, uh, to use a contract term, you're torn between stability and ambition. You have two things in in conflict. Uh, you want, obviously, as a professional, you want to be able to have a nice, safe job that's going to earn lots of money over lots of periods of time. And the other thing you want is to get on. You want to get on. So I agree. I think it says something. If you sign up to a team for a long period of time that is not necessarily a front-running team, what does that say about your ambitions uh, as a racing driver? I think you can be... You know, some people say, well, that's a pragmatic decision because quite honestly, what what are your options uh, at the sharp end? But I took a gamble when I was signing for Williams. I was offered a drive, a definite drive with a team that was a midfield team and I turned it down. And basically, for a period of time, I was floating in limbo with no contract at all in the hope that I'd get the drive at the much better team, which was Williams. And it's fortunately, it turned out that I did get offered the drive at Williams, but I could have been left with no drive at all but I gambled and I think that the contract thing could be another interesting dimension for Formula One yeah but also Damon we discussed this uh, on an earlier podcast where we said that one of the things that was really working in Lando's favour was continuity and bedding in with the team and actually something that worked against Daniel was jumping teams that you're then suddenly having to adjust and um get used to a new car, a new team, a new setup. But it's so interesting, isn't it? I wonder whether in this current climate of uncertainty, you know, because of COVID and everything else, people just feel a little bit insecure and they kind of want to bed in and feel stable. 
Well, and there are no guarantees with 2022 because of the new regulations. So everybody's rolling the dice a little bit. Who yeah. knows who's going to have the quickest car next year? No, you don't look, know. look at three years ahead, especially, you know, as you said, with regulation change, who knows? I mean, why would you sign a three-year deal with unless you knew? But, also, Damien, is it going to yeah. be a straight three years? Most of them have break clauses in them. That's the point, isn't it? That's the point. I mean, the thing is that may well be the Ocon thing, may well be relevant as, to, as far as Mercedes goes because it, he's clearly not. You know, he was assigned to Toto or Mercedes, and uh, now he's got a three-year contract with with Alpine. So he's not going to Mercedes in the next three years. But um, as you say, there may be an option. There may be an out, which is another mm. way of uh, creating some more wealth. Well, that's a great question, Dammy. <laughs> Have we even answered it? <laughs> so what should you do if you're a young driver? Should you, If, you, if a, a man approaches you at a kart track or you're in F3 uh, and he offers you a contract for the next 10 years, what do you do? Now, that's an interesting... Depends who they are, of course, as always. If it's a Ferrari contract, <laughs> I'd probably take it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, always look for the option to uh, transfer that to another team. I'm sure they'll make money out of it, but um, you might not make any money, but you might need to get in a car rather than to be put in a drawer somewhere in, in uh, Enzo's office. Well, I mean, look, you've mentioned Alpine. They've got, what is it, three young drivers in Formula 2, all three of them really talented. Oscar Piastri, Christian Lungard, uh, Guan Yu Zhou. All three of them ready for Formula 1 in 2022. Yet they've Alpine have just uh, closed off both of their seats. Alonso's got a two-year deal, so he'll be there next year. Ocon, of course, is going to be there next year as well. So what do you do if you're Alpine with these three young guys? What can you do with them? Do you try and place them in another team? Do you end up funding a, a, a move to, to Williams, for example, with, for one of them? I don't know. But This is the nature of competitive sport, though. There is no easy route in. But it's, it's more so, I think, Natalie, in our sport. I mean, if you're a golfer, mm. if you're a footballer, I mean, how many football teams are there? There's 22 players in one match, you know, uh, yeah, and if that's not including the substitutes. And you've got the chance to shine. You've got a platform to, to show your yeah. talent. Yeah. Are we saying three car teams in Formula One? The third car has to have a rookie in it. I mean, I'd love that. I think that's great. I'm being flippant, but do you actually think that's a good idea? Well, you mean uh, how many cars would be on the grid then? Would there be less teams or? Every team. 30 cars on the grid. Yes. And the third car in every team, the right. third car in every team had to have, I don't know, a rookie or maximum two years experience. You'd have to have split quality like they did for F2 in uh, Monaco. There wasn't enough space for them. Can you imagine 30 F1 cars in Monaco? And it's all going to come out of the budget cap as well. It's all going to be done within the hundred, the, the meagre $120 million they get to spend <laughs> or pounds uh, that they have to spend on racing cars. We could debate this on and on, but I think it's time for another question for Ars Damon. Hi, Damon. My name is Olivia and I come from Stockholm, Sweden. Formula One travels to absolutely fantastic places. And my question is, which country or city would be a dream to have on the Grand Prix schedule? It doesn't have to be super realistic. Personally, I dream of a street circuit in Stockholm or perhaps Iceland because of its amazing nature. I also have a bonus question for Pinks and Tom. Which current driver on the grid would you like to swap lives with for a day and why? Thank you so much for an amazing podcast. I love it very much. Have a great day. Bye. I'm going to choose San Francisco. Okay, why San Francisco, Damon? I'm asking for Olivia. Why do I've you never like been there. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to go. Um, I'd like to go back to Africa. 
Where, Kailami or a new track, Pink? Would be cool, wouldn't it? Amazing. I'm trying to think. There's a, there's Kailami in South Africa near Joburg, isn't there? Are there any other racetracks? Morocco's got somewhere, hasn't it? I'd like us to go back to Argentina, Damon. Oh, Buenos Aires. What a place that is. We should go back there. That Some was of the most beautiful people in the world. I went there for a tennis tournament once and I just couldn't believe it. Although it is supposedly the plastic surgery capital of the world. You wouldn't think that, would you? Do you think that's why they're so beautiful? Well, I'm not saying that plastic is fantastic because actually something mm-hmm. to be said for natural beauty. Much like yourself, Damon. Oh, I, oh God. Natalie, will you stop it? <laughs> All right. I've had loads of plastic surgery. Now look, I still look awful. What are you talking about? Um, right. Um, so you've still got hair. That's t- I got hair. You've yeah, got it's so much white. hair. It's white, but it's it's hair. Are we going back to manscaping again? What were we talking about? There was another part of this question. I've been distracted. This lot are totally outrageous. It, just control yourselves, people. Calm Who do we down. want to go on a date with? Or, no, no, swap, uh, no, swap oh, lives yeah, with drive. for Who, a day. Lives. Okay, you want to swap the life with one other driver. I think it'd probably have to be Lewis because I, I'd, I'd want to go and surf with Kelly Slater. And he goes he goes surfing with Kelly Slater. What can you say? <laughs> okay, guys, over to you. Who would you like to swap with? It's simple. I want to see the world through Yuki Sonoda's eyes. <laughs> Do you like sushi, Pinks? I love sushi. Hmm. Do you like Italian food? Love Italian food. Well, you're good to go then. Exactly. Clear out that Alpha Tauri motorhome. <laughs> now, this is an unfair question to, for Tom because he's going to have to go and do the press conference in Spielberg and you're going to have to sit there and this, this podcast will have come out and everyone will know. I was thinking along the lines of who owns a vineyard and I think Daniel Ricciardo owns a vineyard. So I th- I'd quite like to live my life. I'd, I'd do a day in Dan's shoes when he's back in Perth over the winter. I'd like that. He wants to do. He mucks about on quad bikes on his farm. He probably drinks a lot of He's wine. He's got to milk the cows and, and do all that farm work. You don't want to do oh, that, he, Tom. Has he, got, has he got cows? Pinks, has he got cows? I'm telling you, he doesn't milk his own cows. But you're right, he does... Does he pick his own on, grapes? Does he pick his own grapes? Stamp on them. Stamp on his own brakes. Great brakes. Stamp <laughs> on the brakes. Oh, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? <laughs> I think Max Verstappen. I, I th- that wouldn't be bad for a day, would it? What does he do? When he's not at a racetrack, he goes and mucks around in a... GT3 Porsche or something, doesn't he? He has fun doing that. He's just bought his own plane. We could just... Guys, imagine... Right, I am Max Verstappen, and I say to you two, right, guys, what should we do? We've got our own plane, and we've got our own GT3 Porsche. What should we do? He's, he's lost it now. He's <laughs> totally lost it. He's, he's off. He's living a fantasy F1 driver's <laughs> life. Right, well, it's not going to happen. So it's a good question, but a good fantasy question there. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you, Olivia, with the lovely voice. Well, they were some of the best questions I think we've ever had, Dami and Olivia. And I'm, I don't want to offend all the other questions that we've had. But we know that we're going to get more excellent questions. And all we have to do is send them on a voicemail messages. And you have to send them to askdamonhill at gmail.com. Okay, chaps, well, it's nearly time to wrap things up on F1 Nation podcast. But just a minute or two to look forward to the next race, which is coming very soon indeed. And we know that Verstappen has got a 12-point lead in the drivers. Red Bull have got a 37-point lead in the constructors. It's set up to be a fascinating battle, particularly when you consider that Hamilton has said that they're losing time to the Red Bulls on the straights and the circuit that we are heading to next is a power one. What are your predictions? Well, I think, as you say, Pinks, I think you'd want to be driving a Red Bull. They're entering their two home races 
uh, as hot favourites. And then, gosh, how big is the lead going to be by the end of uh, these two races if that happens? But they're looking very strong, but Mercedes are determined. Andrew Shovlin spoke to him as he was leaving the track uh, at Paul Ricard, and he said, we have a car that can beat these people, and we're going to work flat out for the next four days to find out where we went wrong this time and can we make this thing go faster in Austria. So it's going to be a cracking race. Never underestimate the Mercedes team. There is an eighth world title on the table and Lewis Hamilton wants it. Now, Tom, looking at the window behind you, it looks like glorious sunshine in Austria. Yeah. What can we expect this weekend? Because I'm hearing rumblings, get it, of a thunderstorm coming. Well, Pinks, first up, uh, I was quite surprised to get here because I was on the zoo flight again, the charter from Marseille this morning. And uh, the plane was so heavy because every single person on it had gone and bought a stack of rosé. <laughs> and you could almost hear the plane chinking as it went down the runway, all these bottles bouncing against each other. And and for what it's worth, uh, the promoter of the French Grand Prix was handing out, I actually wrote it down, Miravel Cote de Provence bottles of rosé. It's delicious and it's owned by Brad Pitt. I know it well. Oh, do you know it? You don't. I do. Yes, absolutely. I may have consumed a few in my time. Well, anyway, so, so that. <laughs> Brad probably sent her a case, I should think. <laughs> <laughs> have you interviewed Brad yet, Natalie, for, you? your po- for your Pinks in the Pinks podcast? Have it? That's a bloody good no. point. That would be yeah. a coup, wouldn't it? Yeah. No one matches you, though, Come on, you're still my you're still my biggest star. I'm the Brad Pitt of uh, Guildford. <laughs> <laughs> That's the headline for this week's episode. <laughs> anyway, so finally made it, but the plane was very very heavy. We then landed in Graz, and you were just hit by this wall of heat. It is 32 wow. degrees here, much hotter than it was at Paul Ricard. And as you say, Pink's rumblings of bad weather, and uh, I think there may be a thunderstorm due at the weekend, but. Bring your sun hat, Pinks, because it's roasting. I'm very excited. It's so beautiful round here, guys. I know, it is. Why well, don't keep telling Are me? You're not coming to I'm oh. stuck here in, yeah. in beautiful Surrey. Damon, you probably raced here when it was the Ostrikering, right? No, I didn't. No, I'm not oh. that old. No. I, I, I went there when it was the A1 ring. In Formula One. What about in F3000? Go on. I'm determined to prove that you actually raced when uh, it was the Australian. I don't think F1. Tom is rarely wrong on these things. I think he knows your CV better than you I do. I might have done F3000. Uh, there remember. you go. It, it's not a track I liked. I, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, you know I, I really do want to have a crack at track design because uh, some of the tracks I think could be vastly improved with some of my, my mods. Talking of which, a bit of news, Tom and Damon, is that changes are due to be made at the Asmarina circuit, which I think would be welcomed by most fans and pundits of the sport. Yeah, it's, it needs a bit of input, Abu Dhabi. I mean, uh, it's it's a good, you know, spectacular location. And, and Absolutely. Road, but, you know, but it's the, uh, the track itself is too smooth, too easy, too difficult to really you know, get your teeth into as a, as a racing and, driver. And to overtake, so a little bit. just and the last, Fernando Alonso. Yeah, and it's the last thing you want, though, isn't it? It's the last thing you want at the end of a thrilling season to be a bit of a damp squib in terms of performance and excitement at the very last track. Mm. So Hang on, I'm Pinks. hoping that... Barcelona, good race. Paul Ricard, good race. Traditionally, traditionally race. both two bad races. I think even on the old Spain yeah. Abu Dhabi, this se- they, we'd have a cracking race this season. You make a very good point. But... Um, anyway, they're making it faster, aren't they? They're making Abu Dhabi faster 
And I've got to get my corner numbers right here, but I think is it turn four? There was that chicane at turn four where Schumacher went nose to nose with Adrian Sutil. Someone write in and tell me what year that was. Was it 2012 maybe? Anyway, uh, they're getting rid of that chicane. So they just, they go flat out for a little bit longer and then break hard for that next left-hand hairpin and then out onto the long straight. So we might see more overtaking and then a little bit faster at the end of the lap as well. So they're gonna have to do more laps to make up the race distance, aren't they? Damon Hill would have enjoyed the new layout, I think, if he was still racing. Yeah, I, I would have enjoyed this, this layout, but I mean, um, you know, it, built, it was built too, uh, too late for me. I've not even been around there in a road car. Uh, so it's a spectacular venue and it's a great place to, to end the season. There's always a brilliant firework display at the end, isn't there? And lots of uh, lots of partying and stuff. But um, yeah, we need um, we need to constantly improve F1, even the tracks and make them more challenging for the drivers. Very assertive there, Tim, and I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the whole podcast. In fact, it's lovely to be back. It's lovely to have your company. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Oh, Pinks, and I'm really excited because you're going to be at a racetrack this weekend. We're actually going to see each other in the flesh. Yay! I've got a week off, but that does not mean I will not be tuning in to the F1 Nation podcast and watching all the qualifying and the racing. Ah, can't wait. Who's going to deliver the line then? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to start. F1 Nation is... It's produced in association with... Audio Boom. And Formula One. That's, that was a bit clunky, wasn't it? <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs>